Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Let's turn once again to Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we read together Philippians chapter 1, the verses 19 and 20. These words also form the text for the sermon today. Hear the word of God. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So far the reading of the Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of these words to our hearts today. Dear friends, God is often magnified in our deepest trials. Perhaps the best example of this is Job. Job was a very rich man. He had flocks and herds and servants and many children. The Bible says that he was the greatest of all the people of the East. Well, one day Satan appeared before God in heaven. And God asked him if he had observed his servant Job, that there was none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan answered and said that the only reason why Job worshipped God was because God had blessed him. But he said that if God took away everything that he had, that Job would curse him to his face. And so God gave Satan permission to do as he pleased. But he did not permit him to harm Job himself. And Satan willingly obliged. In one day, everything Job had was taken away from him. His flocks, his herds, his servants, and even his own children. Well, how did Job respond to this? Well, we have a record of his response in Job 1, verses 20 to 22. We read these words, Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then we read these words, In all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Satan thought that Job would turn his back on God and curse him, but Job refused. Rather than curse God, Job blessed him. But Satan was not satisfied. For he then proceeded to tell God that the reason why Job had not done as he had predicted was because he still had his health. And so God allowed Satan to take that away as well. And Satan did. And he afflicted Job with painful boils all over his body. At one point, in utter despair, Job's wife came to him and said, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? 
And then we read in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Yes, Job suffered terribly. But in the end, Satan was proven wrong and God was vindicated and glorified. Yes, Job's suffering served to magnify God. Now that was also true for the Apostle Paul. As we've seen earlier in this series, Paul was under house arrest in Rome, chained 24 hours a day to a Roman soldier, awaiting his trial. At this point, he did not know whether he would live or die, although he says in chapter 1, verse 25, that he was confident that he would be released. And yet, in spite of his circumstances, Paul was convinced that Christ would be magnified. He says as much in our text, verses 19 and 20. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's consider the words of this text under the theme, Christ magnified in Paul's imprisonment. And we'll consider, first of all, the certainty expressed about this outcome, secondly, the means employed towards this outcome, and then thirdly, the joyfulness produced by this outcome. Yes, the Apostle Paul is confident that no matter how painful his circumstances, Christ would be magnified. He writes, I know that now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now you'll notice this is not simply a prediction, nor is it a wish. It's a statement of fact. I know that Christ will be magnified. Now what does that mean exactly? Well, the word magnify can also be translated as exalt or honor or glorify. Literally, the word means to make great or to enlarge. Think of a magnifying glass. A magnifying glass makes things that are small appear bigger. Well, that's the same here. Paul says Christ will be magnified. He will be exalted, honored, glorified, enlarged, made great in Paul's body. Now, the word body here refers not just to Paul's physical body, but to his entire person. And so some translate in my body or in myself or even in my life. The point is Christ will be magnified. He will be honored and glorified in Paul. More specifically, he will be magnified, Paul says, whether by life or by death. In other words, whether he lives or whether he dies. As Paul awaited his trial, he knew it could go either way for him. To be sure, as we've already mentioned, he was confident that he would be released. But he didn't know that for sure. He might still be executed. He didn't know. But for Paul, it didn't matter either. Because he was sure that whether he lived or died, Christ would be magnified. As one commentator put it, and I quote, If Paul is acquitted and released, he will continue his apostolic labors. If he is condemned to death, he will go to his Lord with unwavering faith and with a song in his heart. Either way, it will become evident what the Lord through his grace can accomplish in the heart of his child. Thus, Christ will be magnified. 
Now we learn here that sometimes Christ is magnified in suffering, yes, even in death. Now to be sure, Christ is magnified in us when we are healthy and active as well. He's magnified when we live our lives to his glory, when we put sin to death and pursue after holiness, when we witness to others about who he is and what he has done for sinners. But he is also magnified in our suffering, in our trials, in our hardships, in our pains, our sicknesses, and yes, even in our death. What a perspective that gives on suffering and death. You know, many people, even many Christians today, avoid suffering and death at all costs. And when they cannot do so, they complain and they say, well, why me? What have I done to deserve this? What is more, there are preachers of the health and wealth gospel who will say that God doesn't want this for you. God only wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy. God is magnified and his people are healthy and rich, they say. But friends, that's simply not true. God is magnified also in our suffering. I already mentioned the example of Job. Paul's another example. But I'm sure you all know people who demonstrate this truth. They're sick and in the hospital. They're made to undergo painful treatment, suffering greatly with little or no prospect of recovery. But they never complain. They're always at peace. And they speak so tenderly of the goodness and the grace and the nearness of the Lord. You cannot help but come away from visiting people like that in the hospital and magnify God for His grace in their lives. Yes, God is magnified in the suffering of His people. And that was also true for the Apostle Paul. And Paul was confident of this truth. Paul was confident that Christ would be magnified in his imprisonment, whether he lived or whether he died. But how would that happen? Where would Paul get the strength to be faithful to the end, especially if he would have to die? That brings us to our second point. Yes, Paul wanted Christ to be magnified in his imprisonment, and he knew that he would. But there were great challenges ahead. First of all, Paul had no idea when his case would finally be heard. Until it was, he might have to endure months and possibly even years of house arrest under less than ideal circumstances. Secondly, there was the very real prospect that he might be put to death. Would Paul lose his nerve? Would he buckle under the pressure? Would he, in a moment of weakness like Peter, deny his Lord and Savior just to spare his own life? But as Paul thought about this, he was confident that that would not happen. Notice what he writes here. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul here speaks of his deliverance. Some scholars say that this refers to his release from imprisonment. And if so, then Paul here is expressing his belief that he would be released from prison. But as mentioned before, Paul didn't know that for sure. He might be executed, as he himself goes on to say in verse 20. Now that has led other scholars to point out that the Greek word that Paul uses here is soteria, which is normally translated as salvation. And they further point out that Paul in his writings 
uses the word salvation in three ways. First of all, as something that has taken place in the past, as something that is taking place at the present, and thirdly, as something that will take place in the future. So this salvation, this deliverance, has these three dimensions to it. Now, it's in this future sense, we're told, that Paul uses the word here. And so Paul here is expressing his confidence that this, referring to his imprisonment, but also to all of the painful circumstances and all the trials that he had to encounter in his life, that all of this will serve not to retard, but to advance his salvation. In other words, that the Lord would use this to cause him to grow in grace and to make him an even more powerful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. In fact, later in this verse, he declares, and I quote, It is my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I may be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. But how could Paul be so sure of this? He had no confidence in himself. Paul knew that left to himself, he would never be able to maintain a strong witness for Christ. He was too weak. How then could he be so sure that this would turn out to his salvation and that he would not be ashamed, but with all boldness would magnify Christ? Well, Paul gives us two reasons why he believed this. First of all, the Philippians' prayers. He writes, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. Paul assured the Philippians that he was praying for them in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now he expresses his assurance that they are praying for him. And the word he uses can also be translated as supplication, which is a fervent petition or request for the fulfillment of a definite need. So the Philippians were not just praying for Paul in general. They were supplicating for him. They were pleading specifically for him and for specific needs. And because of this, Paul was confident that he would not be ashamed but rather that Christ would be magnified in his body. His confidence was rooted, it was grounded in their prayers for him. We're reminded here how effectual is prayer. Prayer is not a waste of time. Prayer is not a shot in the dark. Prayer actually changes things. Now some people have difficulty with that. And they ask, but hasn't God decided what he's going to do anyway? And if that's so, then why bother praying? Well, the answer is simply this, because God is pleased to work through the prayers of his people. Now, how those two things go together, I can't say exactly, but they do. James said that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And as an illustration of this, he cited Elijah. He said that Elijah prayed and it did not rain for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the earth and the heaven gave rain, it says, and the earth produced its fruit. So God used the prayers of Elijah to accomplish his own purposes. 
And Paul's saying that's exactly what he's going to do here. Paul knew that he would not be ashamed, but rather delivered through the prayers of the congregation at Philippi. But he gives another reason for this. He knew that he would be delivered through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, listen to what he writes. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, the word supply here denotes fullness. It means full, large, and free supply. So Paul is expressing here his confidence that he will receive a full, large, free, abundant supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, the word spirit here, of course, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And he's called the Spirit of Jesus Christ rather than, for example, the Spirit of God because his presence is in us and his gracious work for us have been purchased by the saving work of Christ. And also because he sent out by the Lord Jesus into the hearts of his people. Now, in the original Greek, the phrase supply of the Spirit can have one of two meanings. It can refer to the supply that the Spirit gives. That's the first meaning. In this case, it refers to the benefits and blessings that the Spirit works in the hearts of believers. But it can also refer to the supply that the Spirit is. And in that case, it refers to the fact that the Spirit himself is the full supply as he dwells in the hearts of his people. But it's not necessary to choose one or the other meaning, for both are true, aren't they? Nor can we ever separate the giver from his gifts. The point that Paul is making is that through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, strengthening him, equipping him, enabling him, emboldening him, he will be delivered from anything that might diminish his witness for Jesus. So we learn here that it is only through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that we can magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, especially when we are made to suffer. And that only stands to reason, doesn't it? For who are we after all? We're weak and frail creatures of the dust. The only way that we can magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed, the only way we can do anything to his glory, is if we are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. And Paul understood that, and therefore he expresses his need for a supply of the Spirit. But notice how Paul says he will become a partaker of this supply. It's through the prayers of the Philippians. These two things go together. It's as the Philippians pray that Paul will receive a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. There's something very striking about that. Paul could have prayed for the Spirit for himself, and no doubt he did. And so may we all. We should all be asking every day for a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ within us. But Paul also expected the Philippians to pray for a supply of the Spirit for himself. So just as he prayed in verses 9 through 11, that their love might abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that they might approve the things that are excellent, that they might be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul expects them to pray that he might receive a supply of the Spirit. We learn here that it is our responsibility and holy duty 
to pray for the spiritual well-being and growth of other believers. But how often do we really do that? You know, most of the time when we pray for other people, let's be honest, we, we pray for specific needs. We pray for things like healing when people are sick, or for strength when they're undergoing trials, or for wisdom when making a difficult decision. But we don't often pray for their spiritual well-being and growth, do we? And that's not right. One commentator writes this. He says, We have an obligation to put one another's spiritual growth in the very forefront of our prayers and to take the responsibility very seriously. Paul even sensitively suggests that the sufficient supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ for my brother or sister in Christ depends directly on my prayer for them and that failing my prayer, the supply will dry up also. And so, dear friends, let us take instruction from the Apostle Paul and from the Philippians. Let us pray for one another. And let us pray especially for our mutual spiritual growth and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The more we pray for these things, the more spiritually mature we and our congregations will become. And so Paul was certain that Christ would be magnified by him through the prayers of the Philippians and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, how did Paul respond to this? That brings us to our third and final point. As Paul realized that despite his circumstances, Christ would be magnified, his heart filled with joy. And that's expressed in the latter part of verse 18. There, after informing the Philippians that some of his colleagues were preaching Christ from selfish ambition, from envy, and from strife, Paul says that he rejoiced since at least Christ was being preached. In this I rejoice, he writes, yes, and will rejoice. So Paul rejoiced, and he says he will rejoice. Well, what will he rejoice over? Well, he tells us in our text. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Notice how our text begins with that word for here. The word for introduces an explanation. First, Paul declares that he will rejoice, and then he explains why he will rejoice. He will rejoice because Christ will be magnified in his sufferings. We learn here that what should give us the greatest joy in life is to see Christ magnified. Oh, my friends, is that true for you today? What gives you the greatest joy? You know, there are many things in life that give us joy. For some, it may be our family. For others, it may be our business, our jobs, making money. For still others, it may be material things, having a nice house, a nice car, nice clothes, and nice toys. But for Paul, it was whether Christ was being magnified. Why is that? Because Paul realized how much he owed him. You see, Christ left the glories and the riches and the splendor of heaven to come to this world. A world that hated him, despised him, and rejected him. A world that was full of enmity towards him. 
He knew that he suffered his whole life long, but especially on the cross. Why? So that he might reconcile us to God. So that through his suffering and death, he might pay the penalty for our sins, assuaging the wrath of God, effecting peace between God and man, granting us entrance into everlasting life. What is more, Christ revealed himself to Paul personally on the road to Damascus. Paul was going there, you remember, breathing out hatred and slaughter against the people of God, determined to bring them bound to Jerusalem to face trial and possible execution. But the Lord Jesus stopped him in his tracks. He revealed himself to him in all of his exalted glory and majesty. And he changed and subdued his stubborn heart and called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, what if the Lord Jesus had not done this? What if the Lord Jesus had allowed Paul to continue on the road to Damascus to carry out his ghastly intent? What if he had left him in his natural blindness and enmity? Well, then he would be heading straight into hell. And Paul knew this. He knew how much he owed the Lord Jesus. And that's why he rejoiced even though he was in prison facing possible death. For Paul, this was a small price to pay to show his love and gratitude to the Lord for all that he had done for him. Now, my friends, that should be the case for us as well, shouldn't it? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, there should be nothing that would not do, no pain or trial or hardship that you would not experience, no price that you would not pay, yes, even your own life, and joyfully, to show your love and gratitude to the Lord. Is that true for you today? What are you willing to give? What pain are you willing to suffer so that Christ may be glorified? You know, how much we're willing to suffer for him is directly proportional to our love for him. Those who love him greatly will be willing to suffer greatly. Those who love him less will be willing to suffer less. So how much do you love Jesus? My friends, let us examine ourselves. And may God so work in our hearts that with the apostle we too might say, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, whatever that may be, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. And that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.
www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.